What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. We have a lot to get to in this episode as we're going to talk about the UB Bulls and how they fared in Saturday's game. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and how they did against the Tennessee Titans and also the first three games of the regular season for the Buffalo Sabres. So if you're ready, let's have some fun. Before we keep rolling with this podcast, I want to take a few seconds out to say thank you to everyone who has listened to me from the beginning of this podcast up until now and who continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. I just want to remind everyone that if you like what you're hearing, remember to tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your coworkers, coworkers. I don't know. Tell people and get the word out there on this podcast. Let's keep the ball rolling and keep this podcast growing. Let anyone know that if they want to follow me and any of the news via Twitter, that they can follow me at Sports Talk Buff One. That's Sports Talk B U F F One on Twitter. You can also email me at Sports Talk Buffalo at yahoo.com. And remember to tell anyone that they can hear me on their, on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor among many of the other ones. Again, thank you for all the support. Now, if you guys are ready, let's keep rolling. All right, let's kick things off here with some top stories from around sports. In the NFL, after starting the season 0-5, the Washington Redskins have fired head coach Jay Gruden. Since Gruden was named head coach, the Redskins have reached the postseason just one time and have had a dismal record of 35-49-1. Bill Callahan takes over as the interim head coach. Also in the NFL, the Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph suffered a concussion after a big hit in Sunday's game. Rudolph laid motionless on the turf for over a minute after the hit. If he cannot uh, clear concussion protocol, the Steelers will be forced to turn to their undrafted free agent quarterback Delvin Hodges out of FCS Samford. Also in the NFL, a trade that has just happened on Monday here, the Buffalo Bills have traded wide receiver Zay Jones to the Oakland Raiders in exchange for a 2021 fifth round pick. Zay Jones was deemed expendable after the call-up of wide receiver Duke Williams and his performance in Sunday's game. Moving on to the NBA defending NBA champion champions, the Toronto Raptors, Signed star player Kyle Lowry to a one-year, $31 million contract extension, which guarantees Lowry two years and $64 million on the books. Going into the NHL now, the New York Rangers deal Vladislav Nemestikov to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for defenseman Nick Ebert and a fourth-round pick in 2021. That's going to do it for top stories in this episode. Stick around as we jump into segment one. We're going to talk about a little bit about the UB Bulls and how they fared on Saturday and also the Buffalo Bills big win on Sunday. All right, let's jump right into things here in segment one and start talking about Saturday's game, the University at Buffalo versus Ohio. Both teams coming in off of a loss, I do believe, into Saturday's game. 
And in this game, UB suffers an absolute heartbreak loss on homecoming day. They lost 21-20 to in overtime. And, I mean, I guess you should say it was a pretty good game. It was entertaining. It was fun to be at. But in the same sense, how many games is special teams going to cost the UB Bulls? I think last year the Bulls won in spite of special teams. And I just don't think they have enough talent on this team right now to win in spite of special teams. And you're seeing it. This special teams really cost the Bulls the game in this one as uh, the kicker cannot hit an extra point in overtime after UB comes down and scores a touchdown. And of course, Ohio comes right back in the overtime rules for college. They score a touchdown. They convert the extra point. They get the win and they they leave Buffalo at 2-3. and three. And the Bulls fall to two and four. Uh, in this game, though, the defense did play very well again. They held uh, Ohio's quarterback Nathan Rourke to 12 of 19 passing for 155 yards and one interception. He also had 16 carries for 63 yards and one touchdown. And Allison, their running back, had 27 carries for 96 yards and two touchdowns, not even a four yards per carry rushing in that. They had, uh, Ohio did not have a receiver top 34 yards in this game. So again, the Bulls defense, after getting absolutely blown out by Liberty and just being completely exposed, have clamped down and done a very, very solid job these last few games, keeping the Bulls in all of these games, despite the offensive inefficiencies and the deficiencies, I should say, uh, with the team so far this year. Now, in this game, the Bulls did not have their starting quarterback, redshirt freshman Matt Myers, as he was held out with an apparent neck injury from last week's beating that he did take. So, sophomore Kyle Van Treese uh, was thrust into action. He was a three-star recruit uh, rated by 247sports.com as a .809 recruit. And he played very, very well. He threw the ball. He completed 16 of 23 passes for 197 yards, two touchdowns. He also did carry the ball six times for 19 yards and a touchdown. So the question remains, should he start even if Matt Myers is healthy based on the way that he played these last, the little bit of last game, this past game, and how Matt Myers has struggled mightily since the Penn State game. In my opinion, I think yes. I think you give the nod to Kyle Van Trees as he can, he doesn't give you necessarily the arm strength that Matt Myers gives you, but he still has, as you saw in this past game, the mobility to be able to pull the ball out on the read option and get some solid yards. He did have a, a lost fumble in this one, which I'm sure he will be hearing about quite a bit from his coach. But he also had a touchdown in this game in overtime. It, it was he played very solid. He would he was very solid, and I think that I mean maybe it was the game plan. They did throw the ball a lot more in this game than they they were uh, when Myers was the quarterback. But I think that this game right here, the way that they did it, they made it a. They weren't one-dimensional, I should say. They weren't one-dimensional with how they were playing. Uh, Ohio had to respect the pass. They did try to beat them deep a couple of times, but again, you can just see that the arm strength of Kyle Van Treese isn't quite 
up to snub with the arm strength of Matt Myers, but I still think that right now, based on the way that both guys were playing at this very moment, you have to go with Kyle Van Schrees. I think he gives you a better chance to win right now. Um, if you're not playing for this year, fine. Then you, you go back to Matt Myers. But if you want to make a bowl game this year, and you want to win four more games, I think Kyle Van Trees is your answer uh, at the quarterback position. Of course, the running game still does well as Kevin Marks was the lead back in this game. He had 22 carries for 112 yards and Jared Patterson added 13 carries for 52 yards. As I said before, the Bulls' special teams' woes completely continued. Again, after last week, you think, man, maybe we have our kicker, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, maybe we have our kicker, the guy blasts a 52-yard field goal, looks great, awesome. We finally got our kicker. Fast forward to this game, and he couldn't kick it through the side of three buses lined up. It was horrible. He was very bad. They had a a field goal, an early field goal in the game blocked, which by the way, was an absolutely terrible play call on the play before it's third and goal from like the three or four, or the, I think it's four or five yard line. And they decide to run the ball again. I don't like that play call. Ohio knows you're going to try to run the ball in that situation. I think you should do a play action and try to get one of your guys open. I know that your running game is your bread and butter, but you ran it two times prior. You didn't go anywhere. So I think in that situation, you had to go to the air. In any event, they get stopped again. They bring out the field goal unit. And sure enough, the the field goal gets blocked. Moving on to later in the game. here Another big thing that happened in this game was the tight end, Zach Lefebvre. He is supposed to be the one of the go-to guys for the Bulls, and no matter which quarterback is in the game, he did play pretty well against Penn State, but in this game versus Ohio, he was terrible. He caught one pass for zero yards and had three drops, all three of which would have been close to or first down plays, which would have extended drives, which could have given the Bulls more opportunity on offense. That is something that the Bulls absolutely cannot have. They just simply don't have the talent on the skill positions aside from running back to get away with mistakes like that. They really have to play mistake-free football for most of the game in order for them to be successful. But enough about the UB Bulls. Let's jump right into the game uh, the Buffalo Bills had versus the Tennessee Titans. Now, coming off of last week's game, it was very clear that the defense was completely and 100% legit. The big question was, would Josh Allen clear concussion protocol? Would he play? And sure enough, he is one tough kid. He clears protocol, concussion protocol, and he plays in this game. And he, you know what? He has a bounce back game aside from one very bad throw. He had, he completed 23 of 32 passing for 219 yards. He had two touchdowns and one interception in this game. One thing that did happen in this game that I took note of, I believe it was a third and 10 in the second quarter, Josh Allen coming off of that concussion tries to make a run, and he I, I know what he wants. He's an aggressive kid. He's a big kid. That's part of his game. He wants to lower his shoulder and run through guys. 
He tries to make another play, cuts around somebody, doesn't see the defender, and gets absolutely lit up again. I'm sure he heard about it when he went to the sideline because every single subsequent run after that, he did not take a big hit. Even though it looked like he really wanted to uh, keep the play going on a lot of these runs that he did have, he was smart. He did live to fight another day. He slid got down, and I thought he did a a very solid job after getting absolutely crushed. The Bills' defense, my goodness. Again, they, they step up. They step up huge. And if the Bills don't turn the ball over, they are going to win a lot of games because this defense is incredible. My goodness, they are just so, so, so good. They hold the Tennessee Titans to just seven points in this game. And it is, my, I just, I don't have any words to describe how good this defense is week in and week out. And it was a very, very strong performance again by the defense. Like I said, they held the Tennessee Titans to just seven points. The Bills coming into this game only had, I believe, just seven sacks through the first four games. The Bills defense went out and went after Mariota, went after him hard. They had five sacks in this game, including three from defensive tackle Jordan Phillips. He played the game of his life in this game. And you know what? I've been wanting to mention him for a little bit on the last couple podcasts. He has been very, very noticeable out of that defensive tackle position, I believe, for the Buffalo Bills through these first five games. Again, the Bills hold Mariota to just 13 of 22 passing for 183 yards and 13 yards on five carries. We all know how dangerous Mariota can be with his legs, and to hold him to just 13 yards on five rushing attempts is pretty spectacular. Also, like I said, they held him to just 183 yards passing. That in itself is an incredible feat, especially in today's NFL and how much passing is the emphasis uh, in today's game. Moving on to the tight end for the Buffalo Bills, Dawson Knox really struggled, I thought, in this game after having multiple uh, very solid games as a rookie. He only caught two passes for 12 yards in this game, and he had a couple of big drops in this game uh, to go along with that. Also, he couldn't, it, on a lot of plays, he couldn't really seem, he didn't really seem to be able to get the separation that he needed for Allen to be able to deliver him the ball uh, and deliver it accurately. Speaking of separation, it appeared that at any time that the Titans were in man coverage, that the Bills wide receivers, all of the wide receivers, really struggled to get any sort of separation Even though uh, Josh Allen had tons of time on a lot of these plays, he just simply didn't have anybody to throw it to because the Bills couldn't create any separation um, from man-to-man coverage. And that is something that needs to be addressed. Otherwise, the Bills are going to struggle down the road in this season. Another big thing in this game, we finally, finally, finally get to see Duke Williams in a Buffalo Bills uniform, not just on the practice squad, but with the big club on the 53-man roster. And I thought that he acclimated himself very, very well. He looked consistent. He made uh, catches 
And you know what he was rewarded with? The game-winning touchdown catch in this game. His first touchdown catch of his career. His stat line overall, not crazy impressive, but like I said, he seems a lot more sure-handed than Zay Jones did. He also is a bigger red zone target than Zay Jones could be. He finishes with four catches for 29 yards and one touchdown, which again was the game-winning touchdown grab for the Buffalo Bills. Now, this was a big game for the Bills as historically after a loss like that to the Patriots, they are very down on themselves and they come out and they lay another egg and then things start to spiral down and spiral out of control. But uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have put together a culture in this locker room that these guys don't get down on each other and they want to play for one another. That is absolutely huge, absolutely critical, and they come out and win another one going into the bye week this week at 4-1. and one. And I got to tell you, their schedule, as far as opponents go, looks like it only gets easier. Now, I know there's no easy games in the NFL. Anybody can beat anybody on any given Sunday. But if you just look at the opponents that the Bills have coming up, uh, they play the Dolphins twice. I believe they play the Steelers once. They play the Ravens. They have a very easy schedule coming up uh, down the road. It is going to be very interesting to see if the Bills can finally get to that 10-win plateau that they have been, that 10-win plateau, I don't want them to plateau at 10 wins, that 10-win mark, I should say, as they haven't gotten there since 1999. I think that would assure them a playoff spot for the second time in three years my goodness, can you imagine the Buffalo Bills two out of three years making it to the playoffs? That would be something very special. I love what they're doing in Buffalo. I love that they're building a fantastic franchise, and I hope that it continues. I hope the Bills continue to roll. I hope Josh Allen continues to grow, and I really, really, really love what they've done with the defense. Stick around as we go, as in the next segment, we're going to talk about the first three games of the Buffalo Sabres regular season under new head coach Ralph Kruger. I can't wait. They've looked pretty good so far. All right, let's jump right into things here in segment number two, and we're going to talk about the regular season for the Buffalo Sabres, their first three games, starting off with the Buffalo Sabres and their season opener against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, the Sabres came out and I thought that they played a very, very fast, very aggressive game in this one. Unfortunately, I was not able to catch the entirety of the game. I did have to work that night, but from what I did see, they were very aggressive. They were very fast. Players that looked slow last year look faster this year, realistically. Even Scandella looked faster this year. The defense got the uh, got the puck up and out very quickly, and I really enjoyed the game pace that the Sabres appear to want to play at. Now, the Sabres did win 3-1, to and Carter Hutton had a very, very strong game in this one. He stopped 28 of 29 shots and finished with a save percentage of a .966. He did make several big saves in this game to keep the Sabres' momentum rolling. That was a huge piece, something that the Sabres really, really needed 
to kind of break out of their slump la- their slump last year. After that 10-game win streak, they really just the goaltending just kind of fell off of a cliff, and that was a huge reason why the Sabres ended up missing the playoffs. Now, there was a couple of free agent signings that I was very eager to see how they would acclimate to the Buffalo Sabres, and I gotta tell you, I love the Johansson signing so far in the first three games. He has looked fantastic on that second line. I thought that he played a very, very strong game. He had, in this first game, he had uh, a beautiful feed. He was on the right boards. He passes it across to the left side to Jeff Skinner, who tries to uh, pull it and unfortunately just loses control of the puck and it goes into the goalie's pads. But nevertheless, I think that connection is going to be very, very good. I was not a huge fan of Jeff Skinner being on the second line, but I'm a bigger fan of Skinner being on the second line so far this year, even though we paid him all that money, because I think he can drive a line a little bit better than either Victor Olofsson or uh, Sam Reinhardt can, at least at this point. Um, and I really like Victor Olofsson, who has got an unbelievable scoring touch to play on that uh, right or left wing, I'm sorry, on the Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt line. It is going to pay dividends. I think they really, really found themselves a star scorer in Victor Olofsson. Again, in this first game, Casey Middlestat. He did have a very tough training camp, but I thought that he played very, very, very well in his first game uh, this season so far. He had two assists in the first assist. He helped keep the puck in on the right-hand boards, takes it uh, up to in between the dots, makes a nice little pass over to Kiner Sherry, and then Kiner Sherry buries it from there. And then on the, uh, I believe it was the second goal, Yes, it was the game-winning goal, I'm sorry, Um, in front of the net. He's battling in front of the net, chips the puck out in front to Connor Sherry, who buries his second one. And then, of course, the third goal is Rasmus Dahlin coming in and chipping it up over Matt Murray's left, or, yeah, his left shoulder. That was an unbelievable play, by the way, and just shows the confidence of Rasmus Dahlin coming into his second season. I thought that all four lines in this game looked and played well. They played with pace, as I mentioned. They battled very hard in the corners. They won puck battles along the boards, which is huge, something that they didn't do a lot of last year, and they had a ton of scoring chances. They also played more north-south hockey. They got the puck out of the zone very quickly from D to D or D to winger and up and out of the zone. They didn't try to dilly-daddle along a lot in their, in, in their defensive zone, and I thought that that helped quite a bit in terms of their breakouts. And they did have multiple breakout or breakaway passes in this game. Zembius Jurgensen's had two breakaways in this game. Unfortunately, he could not bury either one of them. And I got to say that if you did not see the Yoki Haru, Haru pass, to Zemgis Gergensen's, it was a three-line pass. Yoki Haru was on the right dot to the right of uh, Carter Hutton, and Zemgis Gergensen's was on the far blue line on the left side, and he just whistles a pass tape to tape to Gergensen's to spring him in, 
on a semi-breakaway. It was an absolute thing of beauty and something that the Sabres really, really lacked last year. Now, moving on to the Sabres versus the Devils game. And the Sabres were celebrating their fi- the start of their 50th season, uh, and it was their home opener for the season uh, to kick off the season for the Buffalo Sabres. They brought back 14 former captains, and Jack Eichel joined them. And it was just a, a really fantastic moment to start uh, the home series for, or the home home games for the Buffalo Sabres to start the season. It was, it was awesome. And I got to say, the atmosphere in that building was absolutely and 100% electric from start to finish. And the Sabres did not disappoint. They gave... Uh, the Sabres gave the fans a chance to cheer, cheer loud, and to sustain their cheering for the entire game. They completely and utterly dominated the Devils from start to finish in this game. And that kind of surprises me because the Devils, the night before, had just blown a four-goal lead. They lost in overtime, and I thought that they would come out and be very, very hungry but the Sabres were just way too dominant in this game. They ended up winning 7-2. to As I said, the atmosphere in this game was unbelievable. And the big guns for the Buffalo Sabres, they did not disappoint. Eichel had a three-point night. He, was, he had one goal, two assists for three points. Rasmus Dahlin had three assists. Victor Olofsson, or Golovson, as the fans are starting to call him, had two goals, and you will understand why this kid has got an absolute bomb of a shot. He is got one of the best releases probably in the NHL right now, and he is just a rookie. Uh, Sam Reinhart also had two goals in this game as well. And again, in the game versus the Devils, the defense looked very solid. There was not a lot of chances uh, against the Sabres on Carter Hutton, even though he did let in two goals on 20 shots. He still played very well, made a couple of key saves here and there, but it was just sheer and utter dominance from the Buffalo Sabres, again, from start to finish. It was a really, really fun game, and it reminded me of when the Sabres were going to the playoffs and they went to the conference finals back-to-back years. Just super fun hockey to watch. And um, if there's not going to be a whole lot of fighting, which you guys know my stance on that, I wish there was more physical play. In the Devils game, there was. There was quite a bit. There was a couple of really monster hits. If you didn't see them, wrist aligning on Miles Wood. And in that same shift, uh, Taylor Hall tries to hit Jake McCabe. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea at all. And he just gets absolutely laid out. But the best part of that entire sequence was the big smile that Jake McCabe had after getting up, after just completely annihilating Taylor Hall on that play. Again, it was just a very fun game from start to finish to watch. And if you get have a chance, look, go watch the highlights, go watch the condensed game on YouTube uh, on the NHL channel. It was simply fantastic and a lot of fun to watch. Now, on to Columbus. They played Columbus on Monday night, and they came out and they looked like the team they they were last year, which is very scary. They looked pretty bad, in my opinion. I thought that they looked slow. Their 
passes were not tape to tape. It was not very crisp. And they had a lot of poor execution uh, in the entire first period of this Sabres game. And it showed as the Sabres went into the intermission down two to nothing. Now, I thought that they responded good. They came out in the second period. They looked a lot better. They, they Their passes were faster. It was a lot more crisp. They were trying to move the puck up the ice quite a bit uh, more. They were playing with more pace. And they were rewarded as a good answer with uh, Marcus Johansson with a fantastic cross-ice pass. I believe it was from Connor Sheary on the power play. And Johansson did not disappoint. He absolutely buried that one. And it was, you know, that got the Sabres kind of back on track in this game. Also in the second period, this is why I say I like Jeff Skinner on that second line. I know Vladimir Sabotka is still on that second line for the life of me. I can't understand why. He hasn't been very noticeable, but I, you know, that's, that's, I guess it's a good thing for a fourth liner, but it's not a good thing for a second liner or a top six guy. I haven't noticed Vladimir Sabotka that much. But again, like I was getting back to my point, this is what I was saying. Skinner can drive a line. The puck goes in behind the net. Skinner kind of uh, follows the defenseman back there. The defenseman doesn't pay a whole lot of attention, doesn't think that Skinner is that close. Skinner picks his pocket, turns, and fires one past Corpusalo to tie it at two. That was a huge boost for the Buffalo Sabres, and they go into the second intermission tied at two goals apiece. In the third period, again, the Sabres had a very rough period. They couldn't quite figure out Columbus. Columbus played physical. They clogged the neutral zone. They didn't let the Sabres get those passes, uh, those quick passes off, and they continuously hounded the Sabres in their own zone. The Blue Jackets then did earn themselves a power play uh, with a interference call to Rasmus Dahlin, and they were just dominant on this power play. They had the Sabres running all around. They had complete control, and they finally did score to make it 3-2 to two, uh, going late into the third period. But the Buffalo Sabres catch a break. There's a faceoff to the left of Corpusalo. Jack Eichel's taking the faceoff. I don't remember who it was against, but he's taking the faceoff, and the Columbus Blue Jackets player pushes the puck with his hand in the faceoff circle, which is now one of the new newer rules. I believe it was implemented last season. You cannot do that. It is a delay game penalty. It is a two-minute penalty. The Sabres go on the power play late in the third period. I believe there was two minutes and 22 seconds left in the third period. They pulled The Sabres pulled their goalie, which gave the Blue Jackets ample opportunity to be able to net that empty net to get that empty netter to effectively end the game and sure enough the Sabres gain control they get into the offensive zone they set up and who else but Victor Olofsson with an absolute bomb of a one-timer far side on Corpusalo. we are now tied at three the Sabres a point I wanted to make is the through the first three games the Sabres power play has been absolutely lethal. Whether it's the first power play unit or the second power play unit, they have been absolutely lethal. And it was, and it's been a thing of beauty to watch the Sabres on the power play so far through three games this season. Allmark is a big reason why the Buffalo Sabres did 
go and get into overtime. The Sabres in this game were outshot 44-18. to Yes, you heard that right. The Sabres were outshot 44-18. to That is not a good stat line at, at all. And the Sabres, I think, were kind of lucky to come out with a point in this game. They go to overtime. Jack Eichel plays a minute and nine on the first shift with Sam Reinhardt and uh, Yoki Haru. Goes to the bench for a, a short breather, but then Ralph Kruger sends him right back out there. And then, even though he looked visibly tired, Jack is not going to say no. He is the captain of this team. He wants to be the guy, and I don't blame him for wanting to be the guy. He is the guy that the Sabres need. But it was a very poor giveaway to Marcus, not Marcus Foligno, Nick Foligno, I'm sorry, in the corner, and the Sabres just can't recover. It is passed up into the, the low slot, and it is buried by the Columbus Blue Jackets, and Columbus gets their first win of the year, 4-3 to three in overtime. But again, I think the Sabres played a very sloppy game and they were very lucky to still come out with one point I think that should speak a little bit to the resiliency of the Sabres team it might not be the same team as last year because when things started to get down on the Sabres last year they really got down on themselves they started gripping their sticks a little bit tighter missing opportunities but in this game they buried all of the grade A opportunities that they had as they only had 18 shots in this game and they they netted three of them. So in closing, I want to add, I want to ask you all this. How would you judge the first three games of the Ralph Kruger era? How would you grade him? I would judge him as pretty good so far. The first three games, the Sabres looked tough. They've looked resilient. They've looked like they wanted to play with a lot of pace, a lot of speed. They look dangerous. Their power play looks good. Even though I don't like Sabotka on that second line, the lines seem balanced. They look like they have scoring at least for the top three lines. And it is a welcomed sight to see as the Sabres for the last two to three years only had scoring on that first line. So to grade out Ralph Kruger... Based on his first three games, the Sabres start the season 2-0-1. I'm going to grade him a solid B+. So far, I would have given him an A to an A+. If the Sabres didn't get completely and 100% outplayed in the third game. But I gave him a B+. Because even though they were outplayed in the third game, they still found a way to get a point. And as you know, as the season goes on, every single point is crucial But that's going to do it for this episode. I just want to say once again, thank you all for joining in. Remember to share me with your friends and family and let them know they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites. They can also follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. That's SportsTalkBuff1. They can also email me, um, SportsTalkBuffalo at yahoo.com if you want to get in contact with me. Again, thank you guys all for listening. I hope you have a good week.